Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the GovCon world, this podcast is for you. Thank you for joining us in our mission to make government contracts better one contract at a time. Today, we're talking about classified contracts, including confusion around terminology and the advantages and disadvantages of being a part of the classified world. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Memberships in the Skyway community start at just $20 a month. Check out the end of the episode to learn more. All right, let's get started with today's episode. Today, we're talking about classified government contracts or government contracting, classified information. This is something that we've avoided talking about for a long time because it's it can get complicated. And, and can get confusing. One of our members ran into a, a kind of a big hurdle with one of their government contracts when they were told that their contract was classified. They, they brought it up to us because they were concerned that they had stepped into something and into some trouble without knowing it. They didn't clearly understand the nuances of the rules and processes around classified work. And they didn't actually have any of the things you need to to do classified work. So naturally, they were worried, like, oh, oh wait, this contract's classified. What, what do I do? Once we dug into their contract, we realized what the disconnect was and explained the context of, of what they were missing. In the end, they were fine. That's the good news. But it didn't sound like it at first. And so this episode is to help him to bridge that gap a little bit. Before we bridge any gaps, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Hannah Carr from Motorola Solutions. Hannah is the federal capture manager for their video security solutions at, at Motorola. She's in the San Francisco, California area. I want to thank Hannah for liking and sharing our podcast on LinkedIn. The best way to help more people with our podcast is for folks like Hannah to share our podcast on social media. Thanks for that. Thanks, Hannah. Let's get back to classified or, or, or not contracts. <laughs> the term classified re- requires some context. Not everything in a classified contract is classified and just saying classified over and over again reminds me of how <laughs> it makes confused, it more confusing. Yeah, it's a, that's how confusing it can be. It's important to understand what is classified and what is not classified. There are proper ways to use those words, and there's proper ways to communicate that. But because not everyone is is sort of indoctrinated into the proper ways, it gets confusing pretty quickly. Regardless. Mishandling classified information, actually classified information, can come with dire consequences, and and the impact can be quite severe. There, you can go to jail uh, for for negligently, for purposefully misusing classified information, or you can lose your ability to do future classified work if you prove that you're not handling it correctly. So. Most people kind of overreact. Whenever the word classified is brought up, they overreact because they want to make sure they're on the safe side. In my experience, there are three general ways that the term classified is used in government contracts. There's a classified acquisition, which is the whole thing is classified. Nobody knows about it. A classified contract, meaning parts of the contract are classified. And then there's classified use meaning that the thing that was bought may not be classified, but where it goes, how it's used, when it's used, who touches it, all that's classified. The, the first two, the classified acquisition and classified contract, those are actually pretty well grounded in the FAR. 
The third one, which is where a lot of the confusion comes from, that one means that the classified part, the part that's classified of this whole conversation, actually comes after the contract is performed. Yeah, for this episode, we're kind of lumping all classified information into a single bucket. We're, we're not playing that, the how classified is it game. There's, there's actually different levels of classification based on how secret something is, or really the way it's phrased is based on the harm that disclosure of that information could do to national security. So you'll hear top secret, secret, confidential. Now you'll hear controlled, unclassified information. So it's not classified, but there's rules for how it has to be stored and handled. Plus, they have no foreign, which means no foreign citizens can look at the information. And then FOUO, which means for official use only. And like you said, the, the you know, how classified is it <laughs> can get even more confusing. So that's not the point of this, this episode. All right. Using classified in that, that blanket term, classified. What are we talking about? FAR Part 2.101 is definitions. And this is where it spells out those first two categories that, that you talked about at the beginning of this episode. The FAR says, classified acquisition means an acquisition in which offers must have access to classified information to properly submit an offer or quotation to understand the performance requirements or to perform the contract. In other words, contracts that we don't even know about, unless you're cleared, unless you're part of it. Uh, the contractors must be cleared to even submit an offer. These can often be done through sole source or, or limited competitions, and they're doing that to limit the offers to those who are already cleared. You want to limit releasing the RFP to contractors that are actually cleared to read that information, to know that information, and therefore have the ability to actually do the classified work, to write a classified proposal and do the classified work. And it's not always a contract that the general public doesn't even know about. Sometimes it's very well known that there is a program that is classified. That's a fair point. It's those other times where things happen that unless you're cleared, unless you're already read into it, you don't even know that it's happening. All right, back to the FAR. That's a classified acquisition. The FAR also says a classified contract means any contract in which the contractor or its employees must have access to classified information during contract performance. A contract may be a classified contract, even though the contract document itself is unclassified. I had a service contract at Special Operations Command that the statement of work was classified. Some of the work that it supported was classified, but the systems engineering and technical assistance support personnel would need access or could be exposed to classified work and the performance of the contract. So it's a classified contract. However, the existence of competition for and the performance of this contract was not classified. It was out on, at the time, FBO. Everybody knew it was happening. We had generally, we knew how many people were going to be needed for it, et cetera. A surprise, or should be no surprise, one of the binary requirements is that the contractors had to show how are they going to recruit, retain people who were cleared to do the work. But the existence of the contract was out for the world. I think the far term classified contract is a source of great confusion because you say classified contract, it makes it sound like the contract document itself is classified. So a better term might be a classified effort or a classified program because the contract itself, like you just said, might be an unclassified contract. It has classified statement of work, 
attached to it, but the contract itself is in the open. It's important that you understand that difference as early as possible, like during the market research zone, to avoid trouble later or to avoid chasing things on the industry side that you can't actually bid on or for government folks to avoid having to deal with contractors who can't do the work but don't understand that yet. You mentioned a third category of, of is this classified in, in at the beginning here. Which one's that? Uh, this one's not in the far. We'll call this classified use. And this means that neither the acquisition nor the contract are classified. However, what's happening with the product after delivery, that's the classified part. Uh, and this was common with the contracts that had a special operations command. I mean, I bought weapons and vehicles and body armor and, and protective equipment bunch of different things, but where that stuff was going, what it was being used for, whom it was being used against, those kind of things, that was classified. But the contracts, I mean, think about it this way, like if you're buying, you're buying ballistic goggles for Special Operations Command, that's not going to be classified, but what they do with them is, and the line between those can get blurred really quickly, which is where, you know, the stories get kind of crazy. The example we started this episode with, with, with our customer, this is what they had, what they, what they were delivering the fact that they were delivering it wasn't classified. What the government did with it was. It does not make it a classified contract. That's classified use. And the FAR should explain that. <laughs> like, not that the FAR needs to be bigger, but that's one of those that I think really confuses people. Yeah, that's up to the security team on the government side to explain yeah, as, as the RFP or the market research is going on. So true. again, three types that we're talking about. The first two are in the FAR. There's classified acquisitions where pretty much everybody involved has to have access to classified information to be able to submit an offer or to do the work. There's a classified contract where the contract itself might not be classified, but some of the work is. So you can have uncleared contracts people who have access to the contract and they can read it and they know that this is for statement of work to do this stuff, but they can't actually see the statement of work themselves. There have to be some cleared people in order to perform the work, but the contract itself is not handled as classified information. Then there's the third type that's not in the FAR, classified use. You deliver something, but they won't tell you what they're going to do with it or where. And that last type is, I think, where a lot of confusion occurs because the word classified gets thrown out there and people think, oh no, that means I got to do something different. I got into a heated debate when I was contracting officer. I got into a heated debate with a security person who, in their defense, it's their job to be paranoid about security stuff, but they were so concerned the bad guys would know how these items were being used, where they were going to be going after we delivered them. And to be clear, it was not my decision as to whether to classify the contract. I'm not making the case the contracting officer has any input in that. But in this case, the discussion was about how non-standard the product was and whether they would the fact that it exists would give away any tactic techniques or procedures for our, for the customer we're supporting. In the end, uh, my customer decided it was not classified and the risk of being able to pinpoint a specific location based on what we were buying was, it's extremely unlikely because unless you're digging into this, you're not really going to see the, the, the nuance. But they could tell, hey, this is probably something that could be used in a desert environment or a forest environment or a Correct. mountain snow environment. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't really give anything away. Because there's a lot of forest. <laughs> there's a lot of desert, right? This woke me up to how important it is to clearly understand how to communicate this classification of program versus contract versus use. If these classified things aren't clearly communicated, 
you can run into problems where people mark documents incorrectly or <laughs> think they have to handle things one way and they don't. So they're doing more work or they don't handle classified things like they should because they don't understand that this part really should be classified. Yeah, I, I, sh I shouldn't laugh at that. But the reason I laughed is that I had one where the, the document was marked secret. Just, I kid you not, just in case. I mean, it's like somebody just wrote at the top. It was in red text across the top of this paper. And I wasn't in a cleared facility when I saw this piece of paper. And so the contractor and I are freaking out because we're thinking that if this is classified material, we're not, number one, I didn't think it was. And number two, we're not in a situation where we're able to really review classified information because this guy's not cleared. So everybody's freaking out, right? Well, it's kind of hard to unstamp something. So when you put, when you, when you put the term secret out there in the world, whether you put it on a document or you just tell people, it tends to freak people out. And in this case, it cost us two days of, because there's a process. When you get something that you think has been classified, that's actually out in the world, there's a process that you have to go through security people and you look really stupid and you freak out and <laughs> you lose your job. It, it, you want to avoid that. So that's why it's so important to understand that the, as, as much we can, the nuance of the term classified. Now, classified information can apply to any part of the government acquisition process throughout all of the acquisition time zones and all of the execution time zones. What we're really talking about here is making sure that you communicate it clearly in the acquisition time zones. Once you come up with a requirement, if that requirement turns out to be classified, make sure that during the market research zone, when the government is pulsing industry to see who can do this job, make sure that you explain this job requires this part to be handled in a secure manner. This part's classified, this part's not. Be clear about it. During the RFP zone, there should be security documents that explain these things. And if it is classified, you'll have to prove that you have proper access to that information to even receive the RFP. The source selection zone is where you hope that everybody understood what it was. Right. Because that's, that's when you found out you got a proposal from somebody who either overshot or undershot. And yeah. raise my hand because I've gotten both. During the execution time zones after contract award, that first one, the honeymoon zone, is really a great place this is where we usually go over the security documents, make mm -hmm. sure that everybody understands exactly what's classified, what's not, and how things have to be handled. Because yeah. if you don't, then during the performance zone, that's when you run into problems. But this classification thing goes all the way to the end, even down in the wrap-up zone. When you get to contract closeout, contract's over, but all those documents have to be stored in a secure manner as specified early on by the security team. If you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, we cover those in episode number three, and then we cover the execution time zones in episode 84. You've already talked about some of the problems this can create for the government. Time lost is the biggest one. Uh, when offers don't understand what is and is not classified, raising my hand, they email you to ask a lot because they're freaked out. They don't want to screw it up, right? Uh, this costs time and resources, and it creates a lot of frustration that you can probably hear in my voice as I recall these memories. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say lost time is the biggest issue. The biggest issue is like national security, the loss of national and, security yeah, okay, information. Yeah. But from a sitting true. at my desk doing my job as a contracting officer perspective, yeah, there yes, you go. time lost is a huge problem. If the RFP or the hopefully the draft RFP does not clearly explain what facilities, storage, what kind of clearances personnel need to have in order to deliver these requirements, then offers could end up 
submitting a proposal without the ability to do the work. They may not understand that they don't have the right place to store or to build or the right people to actually do the work. The other extreme is is, pre- is presenting a solution that includes the, the resources and cost is the key factor here that provides a higher level of security than is actually needed. So in other words, the, the offerer says, oh, well, this must all be, in, in this case, it was this all this all be classified. No, it wasn't all classified, but they behaved as which as as if <laughs> they behaved as if it was. And as a result, I'm, I'm not kidding you. They're that added a digit <laughs> to, their, <laughs> to their price. And think of this looks out of place. Well, that's why. Now we were able to work through that. But but I mean that's a big deal. Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised. That it security is quite expensive. It adds a lot to the cost of getting things done. But and and it's it, it should national security can is at stake here, right? They wouldn't say that it's a secret if it wasn't supposed to be a secret. And there are huge penalties for misusing or mishandling or disclosing classified information. First, you you could and and will likely lose your ability to access classified information in the future and therefore perform on classified contracts. You personally could lose your access or your whole company could lose access to classified information if you're breaking the rules and you should have known better or if you're willfully breaking the rules. There are also criminal penalties that could land you in jail. And those are the kind of violations. Those are the kinds of problems that you see on the news. There's some famous names out there connected with disclosure of classified information. Snowden. (laughs) Yeah, famous now. Yeah. Even minor violations of security rules suck up time and energy. Like you said, that time loss can be significant. Whether or not that minor violation actually results in the unauthorized disclosure of classified information. For instance, just leaving a safe unlocked overnight, the rules are you have to spin the dial and check the handle to make sure the safe is locked. If you leave it open, you come in the next day, safe's open, eh, you have to report yourself. Yep. That takes time and energy. If it happens multiple times, you might not get to work that program anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you may not be the person who's checking the safe anymore. Even the simple things cause more work. On the industry side, I think it's clear that having the ability to do classified work can be a huge advantage, right? You're, you're narrowing down the competitive pool to only those other contractors who can do classified work. But it it's comes- like having a, a, a classified set aside. <laughs> it's set aside for all the companies that can actually do the work. Right, right. But, but this comes at a, at a cost, right? Maintaining the accredited facilities and cleared employees, it isn't something you just do. The government has to approve all of this before you get access to at, at anything. So you're investing in facilities before you're even sure that the government will approve it. This is more targeting. Uh, don't chase classified work unless it makes sense for you in the niche that you target, in, in the niche that you perform as a contractor. The fact that it's classified work in, in one of these three buckets doesn't necessarily by itself mean that it's worth going after. Targeting doesn't go away just because you have you have clearances. Classified work it may be glamorous on TV and in real life. I mean, the work's actually pretty interesting, but, but only if you know what you're signing up for. Like you said, Paul, if, if you don't realize how stressful it could be to be sitting in the parking lot going, crap, did I check the safe before you go home and you have to go back in twice? I've done that. 
that's the price of doing the cool work. Yeah, TV and movies make uh, secret stuff seem seem a lot more exciting than than it is a lot of times. I've been a part of some really interesting classified programs, but for the most part, it's no different than any other program. You you kind of get used to the fact that it's just work that's being done, and it's the, the end result that that is a, is a secret. But you have to keep this part secret to do, to get that end result. Don't think don't think that there's more money or excitement in doing classified work. There's just a lot more work involved in order to do that. <laughs> Working on classified acquisitions or contracts, using those FAR terms, it generally requires a much greater investment in facilities and personnel than unclassified work. You have segregated workspace with specific physical security requirements. You might have guards. You need alarms. You have access control, right? Now you, you might have to have different badges. Yeah, different color-coded badges. Yeah, safes. Separate IT systems are usually required. You can't do classified work on computers that are connected to the internet for, for obvious reasons. Plus, you have the staff. You have program security and facility security administration staff. So all that gets rolled into the costs that you're incurring for, for cost-type contracts, I guess for fixed-price contracts too. But what I'm saying is it's a lot more administration overall. It's a lot more complex to get that kind of work done than it is to do unclassified work. Despite all that, the work can be very exciting and fulfilling. And generally, like we said, you're competing with a smaller crowd, especially for the super secret stuff. If only a few qualified contractors even know that there's an RFP, because the government has used the FAR exception for other than full and open competition. You're competing against a very small pool, a very specialized pool. And not everyone within that pool may be qualified to bid for this effort. So it it can be a good thing, but just don't take getting into it lightly because there's a lot more to it. All right, getting back to our specific topic today. The time to clarify those security requirements is before you submit a bid. The market research zone is the time to, to flesh this stuff out. During the RFI, the industry day, the draft RFP, any of those, whether or not they're classified, is the time to understand what are the classification requirements of this overall contract. All right, Kevin, let's wrap this one up. On the government side, be, be as clear as possible, as early, as, again, raising my hand because I did it wrong, as early as possible on what portions of a contract will be classified. And if you can get people to understand the difference between a classified acquisition, classified contract, and classified use, it'll make your life a lot easier. The classification level of an acquisition is an immediate self-elimination factor for offers. If they don't have access, if if they don't have the ability to do that work, then you have a smaller pool to deal with. So it's really good for the government to be open up front. And industry folks, be sure that you understand what's classified and what's not. So you're not spending your time and energy chasing something that you can't work. You can't submit a proposal, you can't win, and you can't do the work, I guess. <laughs> That's a lot of wasted time right there. Yeah. And if you and if you can't clearly understand what's classified and what's not, ask. Okay, but if you still don't really understand the context of what the what the customer is asking for, it probably means that you're not targeting very well. Just yeah. saying. Yeah, you're not you're not ready for this one. You don't understand enough yet. This work is not aligned with your core capabilities. All right. Speaking of core capabilities, one of ours should be to end these in a timely manner. That's it go. for today. I'll see you, Paul. Okay, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to check out the Skyway community at skywaymember.com. 
The Skyway community is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, running, or growing a business in the GovCon world. We speak GovCon. Personal memberships start at just $20 a month. That gives you access to all of the learning resources in the Skyway community. Professional members get access to our team of contracting officers through the Ask a Contracting Officer forum, and premium members get consulting time with our contracting officers as part of their membership. To learn more, give us a call at 877-884-5280 or check us out at skywaymember.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.